0: Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The
1: Steve Dace Show.
2: And greetings. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Totters and Aaron McIntyre, they're here too, as, as are all of you. 888-900-3393 is the number to the Blaze, 888 900 3393, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's how you can email the program. Last name is D E A C E. Try liking us on Facebook with an emphasis on the word try. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up here today, some three non political questions, some Theology Thursday. There's a column at USA Today we're going to be discussing about Trump and evangelicals from a Hillsdale College graduate. So we're going to tackle that one coming up a little bit later on today. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to a former atheist who, despite the bad reputation she used to hear about Christians, decided to still trust in the goodness of God. We're going to talk about her and her story coming up here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of those zany hijinks before they are permitted to ensue, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened
1: while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by Don't Make Mike Angry. Senator Mike Lee was not happy with the briefing he and others received about the strike on former Iranian general Qasim Soleimani.
2: At one point, one of the briefers said something like, uh, don't worry, we'll consult you. Well, with history as our guide, uh, consultation isn't necessarily the same thing as authorization for the use of military force. A declaration of war or an AUMF is what the Constitution requires and drive by notification or after the fact, uh, lame briefings like the one we just received aren't adequate.
1: Minnesota Congresswoman Elon Omar could be seen laughing and joking around while one of her comrades in the House talked about the death toll of the Iraqi war. Deal with an incident or uh, a dislike or someone in a car coming in from the airport.
3: Uh, That is the danger.
1: She also said that tensions with Iran are having an effect on her.
3: I feel ill a little bit um, because of, of everything that is taking place. And I think every time I hear about... Come, I hear of conversations around war. I find my myself, um, being stricken with uh PTSD.
1: A new poll from the morning consult shows that barely one in four Americans can identify the country of Iran on a map. Is that bad? The media. Yes, the media continues to double down on Iranian propaganda. We'll start with Chris Matthews, who says the term "regime" is just a right-wing talking point. The
2: word "regime" used over and over again is a word setting up regime change. In
1: other words, all the pressure we're putting on that country is to get rid of the Ayatollah. Iranian Vice President Masuma of Ebdikars told the world on behalf of Iran she'd shoot the hostages involved in the 1979 Tehran hostage crisis if Iran's demand were not met. CNN gave her a platform recently to talk about the ongoing tensions with Iran.
3: I'm saying that uh, the American government, the American president, made a serious miscalculation. They made a serious mistake uh, by assassinating, uh, by taking this terrorist action against uh, Commander Soleimani.
1: Joy Behar from The View is celebrating that a white nationalist slammed Trump. You remember Richard
0: Spencer? He's basically the organizer of Unite the Right, the white nationalist group that was marching in Charlottesville. It was all in for Trump. Not anymore. Here's his quote. He tweeted last night, I deeply regret voting for and promoting Donald Trump in 2016. Oh, my gosh. Wow.
1: Using a white nationalist to own the orange man. That's going to. That's going to win hearts and minds. A new Iowa general election poll by Public Policy Polling shows Donald Trump beating Buttigieg, Biden, Sanders, and Warren in the purple state. Public Policy Polling has a B rating from 538. In weird news, the District of Columbia is seeking to eliminate so-called gendered language in city code. The measure, which will go under consideration by the city council soon, would eliminate words like manhole, fireman, chairman, and others. Extremely popular singer or rapper or whatever she is, Cardi B, says she's filing for Nigerian citizenship because of Trump. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced yesterday they're stepping down from royalty as they aim to become financially independent and independent in general from the royal family. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is 1776 called and doesn't care.
3: 1776
0: llamó y no le importa.
1: And finally, Elizabeth Warren can dance. And that's what happened while we were away.
2: Aaron's montage brought to you by Rid You Zone, which unfortunately cannot rid you if you are a Blaze TV subscriber of the visual you were just subjected to from Elizabeth Warren with whatever that actually
1: was. That All was right. the most likable she's been in months.
2: Was that was that was that the mashed potato? Is that is that what that was? I was homeschooled, I don't
1: know what dancing it is. Is exactly.
2: Um so anyway, if if you are looking to reach your weight loss goals here in the new year, make sure you understand that working out, exercise is vital. It is. I can Testify to that first person, but particularly as we get older, the vast majority of weight loss is going to come. It's a it's a bit of a ratio here, but the the ratio heavily leans towards what you put in your your body as opposed to uh, the output that you're utilizing it with. All right, that's where Riduzone comes in because your body was also made to crave and conserve calories. It's only been kind of a new thing in human history for food to be a readily available resource to the masses. So what do you do, therefore, when it's time to cut back on those cravings and calories, and willpower only will take you so far. That's where Riduzone comes in. FDA-approved, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, because all it is is this little molecule in your body called OEA. And when it works right, it helps your body to know when the belly is full. But when we're overweight, we've just gone past that stop sign too many times, you could use a boost, and that's what Riduzone does. It gives you a boost of that OEA in your body. That's all it is. No fillers, no caffeine, stimulants, chemicals, additives, preservatives. It's just that OEA. So it's a clean source here uh, from a supplement standpoint. If you want to give this a shot, you know, it takes about uh, 90 days for something to become habit-forming in the subconscious. All right. If you want to give this a shot, then uh, to regulate your appetite, your cravings, your portion sizes, three-month supply we're offering to you right now for 30% off. If you use my name, Steve, as a promo code, when you go to the website, riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com is the website, 30% off a three-month supply right now with promo code Steve at riduzone.com. To the montage we go. I want to st- I want to start with Mike Lee's comments, and l- let me say this first: I-, I I agree with him on a on a principle level. the The problem you're going to have, though, if you're if your name is Mike Lee, first of all, there's a time and place, you know. P- he needs some better political advice. Let me just put it that way. When they're voting on NDAA authorizations and, and Iraq and Afghanistan are now our only renewable fuel sources, we just stay there for evs, y'all. That, that's the time and place, don't you think, to, to make an argument about this or like this. When we, when we just took out one of the lowest pieces of life form on this planet? Probably not. I mean, I would assume all of our mamas at some point told us to choose our battles, right? To to, to be discerning, to be prudent. Yet when we take these big defense votes, you will know, usually put out a press release or something, and we're just going to stay in Afghanistan forever. But do you see that level of passion? No. You know, You see that level of emotion? No. No. So, so we're going to see it because you don't like the way that you were briefed on killing salami over there in Iran? Really? Not to mention, it was about this time last year, if memory recalls, a video went viral with a certain senator lady You guys remember this video? I'm not sure. With Ivanka and Ivanka care and his new initiative. You don't remember this? the initiative with Mike Lee and Ivanka Trump, that you were going to get more of your money back.
0: Oh, well, that I remember. I just don't remember the particular video. Yeah, Yeah.
2: you were going to get more of your money back, provided you spent it the way government was willing to approve. And I, I can't think of a less libertarian idea than that. Government will give you more of your money back if you spend it on daycare, aftercare for your children, you spend it on the things government says you need to spend your money on, you can have more of your own worth and productivity. And there's been a few other things. I, you know, I like Mike, met him a few times, interviewed him several times. He's one of the best senators we have. He's, this is a difficult time for a guy like Mike Lee. Because you're trying to be, you, you are a very principled man. But it, it's a period of time when really principle isn't valued all that highly. So, to me, I, I, think, I think he's got a, like a, I'm going to give him a built-in handicap. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's he's, right now he's trying to play Rafael Nadal on, on clay, all right, that that's a doesn't it doesn't mean it it doesn't mean you're not one of the greatest tennis players in the world if you can't beat Rafael Nadal on clay. Okay? In fact, you might even be Roger Federer, the greatest player of your era, maybe the greatest tennis player of all time. I believe he has the record for most Grand Slam titles. He's also very seldom defeated Rafael Nadal on clay. And so if you're trying to be a very principled Politician in this era, where we have pointed out to you the Liberty scores at Conservative Review of the Elise Stefanics and Devin Nunez's and Lindsey Graham's, who are your new uh, this Doug Collins in Georgia. Everybody lost their bowels when the governor down there didn't pick him to be the senator for Johnny Isaacson, even though his Liberty score is is toilet is a to- is toilet bowl too. Um, this is an era where you're. Principles are often defined by whether you're you're rubbing the same chia pet as the audience is. Fair, yeah. And so there's been a few times. The the reason I went after Mike on the Ivanka care thing last year is that wasn't that was egregiously bad because now we're now we're not just doing bad politics. Now we're we're subverting my own belief system. Government gives you your money back, but only if you spend it the way government wants. I mean, there's like is it, it progressive much. Do you even libertarian bro, okay, with stuff like that. But there's been other things, but I've like kept my mouth shut. Why? Cuz I'm sympathetic. I've got a little experience, albeit not in the halls of the, of Congress, but I have a little experience with trying to maintain some form of intellectual honesty and consistency in the current era we are in. And the difficulty therein with doing so and the far the the little reward that is often handed to you for attempting to do so, right? Because what ends up happening, and you know, my inbox is a testimony to this. I agree with Daniel Horowitz. I, I think the last previous 72 hours could very well be the finest of the Trump presidency. I am a sellout now. Again, how many, how many times is this? Can you guys recall how many times it's this is It's just another this? day, at day at least once and why. Yeah. So. And then next week when he tweets something I don't like or does something I think is really dumb. I hate America. I hate America. Again, again. Okay, so I, I am sympathetic to, to Team Lee where that stuff is concerned. But I also can't help you when you're running the ball against a 47-man front on third and 28. I can't help you. you know, If you're, if you're going to make horse play calls like that, I, I can't help somebody. I mean, that's a you problem. And if you're going to choose now with ham salami and bacon over there getting fried in, Ar- in Iran. You're going to choose now to put your foot down and and make a scene. I, I if, if if your political instincts take you there, I, I can't help you with that. I mean, I just... Your thoughts, Todd?
0: Well, first of all, I uh, did not anticipate uh, in a discussion about the War Powers Act to have such deft tennis analogies, so props on that. <laughs>
2: here I, I how about whether how about whether the War Powers Act in and of itself is even yeah. constitutional by the way but that's another show well okay you
0: mentioned you know a discussion this is a discussion for a different time as it relates to foreign policy but also as it relates to uh Republicans and the two years that they had total control on the border and Obamacare this is where people end up frustrated and I think the clip well, uh, with Mike Lee and the clip with Ilan Omar have a lot more to do with each other than anybody's going to be comfortable hmm. with because that that nervous energy about, yeah, I have PTSD because history is kind of moving on without me. Like, listen, the Republicans had flat out gotten comfortable with like, you know, I think we tamed this beast. Yeah, this this Trump thing was nervous at the end, but they, it's kind of business as usual. And even with a guy like Mike Lee, uh, and, and now... Uh, Here in this moment, why do we think this is perhaps the greatest moment in Trump's presidency? Because it was this is the difference between like we talk about Star Wars, it's like all over the place. The original Star Wars, black, white, Mm -hmm. clear, Mm -hmm. actors who were unafraid. Uh, and that is that clearly bugs Ilan Omar, but I think it really bugs. Mike Lee I you're right I agree with the specificity about the need to talk about the War Powers Act we should be talking about anytime this goes in but more broadly in terms of the interactions of Republicans with this particular president uh listen you guys had your two years on matters foreign and domestic to really put a stamp on things you did not so the belly aching that Steve is talking about being very poorly timed I absolutely agree with that on more fronts than just foreign policy
2: by the way if you look at our history we've had going all the way back to the founding of the country there have been numerous military maneuvers ordered by presidents without getting declarations of war for Congress so if anybody that's told you that it hasn't that's not since nine post 911 and George W Bush that we you know presidents have you know or just use congressional resolute that that's just that's not true. This is not new. This has actually been going on. We haven't had frankly that many formal declarations of war for the United from the United States Congress. So this is this has been a debate about how what can a president do in these matters and and how offensively can they do it? This is this has been a debate guys since 1789. All right? This is this is not a new debate. And you have to also understand that you're not dealing necessarily and now in the case of Iran you are dealing with an actual nation state. But, but, but the problem is Iran has its tentacles in a lot of these amorphous global terrorist organizations that it funnels its actions through as its proxies, right? And so, you know, you can't a formal declaration of war against Al-Qaeda. Well, which Al-Qaeda? Where? A formal declaration of war uh, against, against ISIS. Well, you know, is it ISIS or is it ISIL? And in which country? You're dealing with an amorphous organism. That is constant, known as Islamic terror.
0: And if we don't recognize that, we're basically yes. the British just lining up yes. with our muskets and saying, that, "Well, this is the way we got to fight a war here." That's stupid.
2: Yes, you're dealing with an amorphous organism called Islamic terror, and therefore you have you've got a few options on the table. And 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 this is the problem with a libertarian foreign policy view. That's why I'm not a non-interventionist and I'm not a neocon, because because the only solutions that are really on the table are we build a wall. Well, they don't want that because, you know, uh, a lot of libertarians like some form of open borders, number one. And then number two, um, well, what was the Ron Paul line? If we, you know, walls can be used to keep people in, right? So, okay, we don't want a wall. Okay. You don't want a wall. Cool. All right. Um, Well then um, interventionism. Well, I I, I agree with you on that. I don't want that. You know, we, we tried that. I originally did think that would work by the way. So I've changed my position on this based on the evidence of the history. I we've all lived through. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't work. The nation-building thing doesn't work, okay? So, yeah, Joe Manchin, the Democrat senator from West Virginia out there saying today, the, United, the presence of the United States is needed to stabilize the Middle East. Uh, 2002 called and, 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 you know, wants its sound bites back, all right? So, that doesn't work. We tried that. A lot of people died. Doesn't work. Get out, okay? But, so, that option's off the table, too, okay? So, then we're, how about we just then are, we amorphously strike back ourselves, Okay, we're not. We don't. We don't need Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Shield, Operation Sword. We don't. We don't. You know, another four hundred thousand troops at the Qatar or Jordanian border waiting for an invasion. How about when we know you're the bad guy and we can hit you, we just do. Well, that's, that violates human rights and um, it's the it's now the planetary constitution, not the and we and do pro. Okay, tell me what the damn solution is then. What what makes you all happy, because. Wampum doesn't work for the for the guy who wants to be the the, the, the next Abu Baker. All right, if you know Islamic history, they not they don't want a KFC, they don't want trade, they want to rule, they want to conquer you. So what is the what's the so we you don't want us to you don't want a homeland defense, right? So you don't you don't want surveillance and you don't want a wall. And I agree with you on the surveillance too, because we've seen that get abused, right? Okay, so that's off the table. You don't want that. We don't want nation building. That's off the table. We don't want that. Okay? All right. So then you don't wanna you don't wanna be you don't wanna be amorphously strategic to respond to an amorphous organism, which is we have the technologies just to take these people out whenever we want without having to call in the 101st every damn time. We don't want to do that because apparently, you know, they've got the the same due process rights as all the criminals that you currently want to let out of prison early. So then what the hell is the solution then? At some point there's got to be one. There's got to be one other than trade and money and everybody wants to be a materialist. Folks, have you been, have you ever, you know anybody from the Bedouin part of the world? They're not all into that materialism thing, guys. Guys, These are cultures hundreds and hundreds of years older than you, and they've never read Ayn Rand, and they they don't know who the hell John Galt is. They want to rule. They come from a church where the guy spent the last 20 years of his life fighting barbaric wars and died in the middle of the last one. And then when he died, they couldn't figure out who the successor was because he didn't leave one. So they then just started fighting each other. And we see that play itself out on our news reels now, like it's still the eighth century. So tell me then, Todd,
1: Aaron, what is the solution then? If we're not going to do, so, uh, if they're all off the table. Then what do we do? Yeah, I, what I'm hearing you say is that you know, a, a foreign policy, the, the how to win friends and influence people, foreign policy is not really going to work in that part of the world. I, that's that's the again, we're coming back to the fundamental crux of every single, every single conversation we've had about foreign policy in the last few years, it's that it's run by and constructed by, with very few exceptions, one of which was taking out that scumbag uh, Iranian general. With very few exceptions, it has consisted of a very progressive worldview that basically says that we will cast our own aspersions upon, we will make the world the way we, we will see the world the way we want to see it, not the way it actually is. And when that happens... You get the the you get the cacophony of chaos that is that is what we see playing out every single day, whether it's actually on the ground in the Middle East or whether it's the way whether it's the way our foreign policy experts and air quotes talk about this on on any given day here at stateside as well. And as far as Mike Lee, getting back to Mike Lee as well, of course he's in a difficult position, but you're you, for a second reason. You, you are you got to be sympathetic to him because it's like uh, you know what I'm looking back at the last ten years of sure. this terrible foreign policy as well, and I don't want to wake up in three months from now and see ten thousand American troops on the ground in Tehran, you know. So you got to be th- sympathetic to him as well, where that's concerned. But along the lines of what Todd said, it's like you're going to plant your flag on paid family leave, or uh, 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 on that, and th- these are these are going to be your two flag planting moments. The last time I saw Mike Lee that angry was on the floor of the convention with the Free the Delegates Movement. It seriously it it just reeks of having the wrong priorities. Mike, uh,
0: how
2: about how about showing that kind of passion when the president announces we're going to send 2000 troops yeah. to defend Mecca? Where was where was the passion then? Do you know the answer to that? The, I I don't. That 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 would seem to me to be the time to have a larger broader conversation. But if you, I, I also don't want ten thousand troops in Tehran, and you know one way to do that is to kill the people that run their troops before they can command them to come at us. That's one way. That's one way to do it. I mean, that's by the way, that's an ancient tactic of warfare. Why did the generals always stay in the back? Because if a general got killed, what would the rest of the army do? They were scattered. They were rudderless. That's why. All right. So I, I just at, at some point. You can't compl- and I had to learn this too, and I still have to learn this sometimes. If you want to be a principled person, you can't complain in a way that then doesn't offer people an alternative solution to what they already see as a solution.
0: Does that make sense? Oh, it does. And if you want to be a principled person, sooner or later, you need to act with abandon on those principles. And I think that's what really bugs mike lee and other people yeah they're principled people but in terms of acting on those principles um it's it, it it's been disconcerting how ready willing enable the longer they're there they are willing to pull their punches and if that makes you uncomfortable that's a you problem with all the whining coming from various trains on the right in the last couple days regarding this i'd rather go with marie harf's jobs program as a solution than what you guys are whining about i'm sick of it the fact that trump is a guy that keeps making you guys feel weak and insignificant is act. it's that's actually a blessing. I'll say you, this that too. That needed to come
2: to you. I'll say this too. I, I don't. I don't necessarily blame them. Now, if we're if if we're talking more of an a, a gesture, like I think there ought to be hearings and stuff about whether we send two thousand American troops to Mecca. That that's the stuff I think there ought to be hearings about. Okay, but we're in an era right now where the government is essentially a leakocracy where the same news companies that put former Pentagon officials on the air to try to conduct a coup for the last two years, then run in, in, in real time, as we pointed out yesterday, and just regurgitate Iranian news agency talking points unconfirmed on national television. I don't blame the White House or the Pentagon at all. If they're like, dude, Do you really not trust some of these guys in Congress just to um, leak this to the Washington Post and get this out there right now on Vox and Salon? Hey, you know, uh, hunker down over there in Iran. We're coming for you. I mean, you're in the aftermath of this guy's killing. You're not even seeing your typical political. Let me try to steal the president's thunder and get some of that uh, accomplishment on me. They're literally mourning the death of this Iranian leader and and cheering for the Iranian protests about his death. I, have, I don't blame you at all for not wanting to go over to Congress and let them know about this, because frankly, I think several of those people are enemies of the United States too, to be brutally honest with you. Albeit from a different vantage point and a different perspective, but they have the same end game that the Iranian high command does, which is the end and taking down of American exceptionalism. And if you're, you know, if and if Mike, if you want to be consulted more, maybe take on some of that leakocracy there in your own chamber that you work in every single day and point out how these people are enemies of the United States, and, and 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 let's root some of that out, and and then maybe you might get trusted more. Is that a fair take or not, Aaron?
1: No, I I think it is, and I I, I want to. I don't want to put words in your mouth as well. You just made a, a general statement about the lecocracy as well. This is that's that's not a good thing on any level because again, the Pharaoh who knows not Joseph complex comes along someday. And maybe you want that lecocracy to be there when a president uh, you, you know tries to attempt something that's blatantly unconstitutional or evil itself. Maybe you want that you but at, in this particular, in this particular instance, Yeah. And I think that's just a carrying out of kind of what our foreign policy outlook has been as well. I mean, it's not dogmatic. You have to take these things on a on a case by case basis. But again, uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, If you're if you want to act, if you want to be Congress, if you want to be a senator, if you want to be a a representative, if you want to be Congress and you want to have that authority, why don't you start actually acting on the authority you do have? reining in those agencies, whether it's the deep state, the leakocracy or whether it's the courts as well, but then complaining after the fact, it just, it looks nothing like, uh, nothing uh, other than uh, weakness.
2: I also want to congratulate the three of us. We didn't bring up that stupid story about the Royal family. One time. I don't care. You can't make me care.
1: And, and I don't care. I, I don't. I don't. I don't care. It was one of the best capitalistic moves of the last, well, it's a new decade of this decade so far.
2: I don't. Okay. I'm an American. I don't. I don't care. More in a moment. Happy new hair to those of you that took our advice last year about signing up with keeps where 66% of men will even experience hair regrowth as well. Now, if you missed out, don't worry because keeps knows that even here in the new year, losing your hair sucks. That's why they offer the generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products that are out there. And these generic versions will save you a bundle. So what are you waiting for with keeps keeps? You can save your hair without ever leaving your couch. Just answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right treatment for you, and then it is shipped discreetly to your door. And here's the happy new hair deal we have for you today. Go to keeps.com grow. That's keeps.com slash grow to get your first order of Keeps hair loss treatment for half off, 50% off. For those of you that went to public school, that is... Half off, that's right. Keeps.com slash grow to get half off your first order right now when you go to Keeps.com slash grow. The name of the book, Why I Still Believe, A Former Atheist's Reckoning with the Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God, written by Mary Jo Sharp. She's our guest here today on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Mary Jo, my name is Steve Dace. It's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you?
3: Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
2: The reason I thought it'd be cool to have you on is one of the things we try to, to do with our, our audience a lot is what I like to call, because uh, we do a lot of worldview here on this show, and I've done a lot of worldview in public speaking and things of that nature, and I like to, I like to go by what I call three-dimensional thinking, and that, that first dimension is a biblical command to know why you believe what you believe. The second one, though, is to know why other people believe about what they believe. Where where do Muslims come from? For come, or where are they coming from? For example, where do other where, do, where does a pagan religion or other unbelievers and their belief system and worldviews, other ideologies, where are those coming from? But then that third dimension is to know why other people believe what they believe about what we believe as Christians, and. Is there is there a reason why someone is rejecting Christianity? Did someone who claimed to be a Christian hurt them in life, or demonstrate something that was that was dysfunctional or abusive to them in some way, or or immoral? Right, and I get the sense that that's kind of where your book and your story is going. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, certainly. Um, so, uh, I've, you hear a lot of statements about you know people deconverting from Christianity, and you know they'll give reasons why. And many times we're not getting the full story. And what we end up seeing is we end up seeing the person completely leave Christianity. But we never seem to hear these stories about people who are hurt in the church who have problems with church. Uh, but then look at. Well, is that a reason to leave the church, the truth of Christianity behind? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in my book, I'm looking at this, this issue of, yeah, I, I was dealing with the hypocrisy of believers in the church. And it, it really struck me having come from an atheist background to come into the church and find that actually the church is full of regular people who have regular problems like everybody else. And uh, that was actually very disappointing to me. Um, because there were a lot of hurts that I experienced, and they're the kinds of things you experience with human beings. But d- did those hurts, did those problems I have, did that negate the truth of Christianity? And so in the book I'm dealing with, um, yeah, it doesn't. In fact, um, my experiences with Christians, although they were harmful, although I have to work through those, I actually came to discover that the hypocrisy of believers does not does not change the truth of Christianity.
2: No, because ultimately— I mean and I've I've explained this to my audience in th- this way in the past. You tell me if you think this is a this is a good way to explain it. If if you if you get up tomorrow and find out I've been fired because um the the sorts of disgusting materials are found on my computer, they get you arrested nowadays, okay? That 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 certainly goes to the credibility of my own testimony as a Christian. Was it ever sincere? What level of sincerity was it? Was this a particular blind spot that I just clutched and, and refused to let uh, the Holy Spirit uh, have access to, right? Th- that gets to my own specific claims and my own specific walk. It does not, however, change the fact of whether or not Jesus of Nazareth was dead and walked out of a tomb on the third day as if he never was, right? And I think, right. I think that's sort of what we're, we have, we're, in, in some respects, I think, frankly, we're letting unbelievers off the hook. And, and, and that the idea that the, our own Christian testimony, its credibility might always be at stake. But, you know, if, if, if I'm a flip-flopping, flim-flam, idiot, loser, hypocrite, it, it has nothing to do about whether uh, Jesus sits at the right-hand throne of God or not. For example, the weatherman might be a terrible adulterer. It doesn't change whether or not it, he was right that it was 75 degrees uh, today or not. See wow. where I'm getting at?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a hard balance for Christians because we are told uh, specifically by Jesus. We're actually not told. He's praying in the garden in John 17, right before he goes to his death. And he's praying that we would all be one, that we would greatly love one another, uh, because that would be a testimony to Mm -hmm. the truth that he is God's son. So we are accountable to portray the light and the love of Jesus in the world. But at the same time, you know, that that like you're saying, the truth of Christianity does not hinge on our own personal behaviors and on um, our own you know, individual Christians. And you can see this uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about it in the passages in 14 and 15, he's saying, if Christ hasn't raised from the dead, that our faith is useless. He actually just puts it right out there. Your preaching is in vain and your faith is useless. We have to have a a risen Savior. That's an objective truth claim that does not hinge on the behaviors of any Christian or cultural attitudes or what's culturally acceptable in the moment. This is an objective truth claim by the Apostle Paul and Christianity rises and falls on the truth of Christ's resurrection.
2: Mary Jo, how much of the church's, there's, there's, there is, a, let's just talk about the era in which we live, okay? So we have, we have a macro problem with hypocrisy. We have shakedown artists on allegedly Christian television, okay? We have priest abuse scandals, okay? Those are, you know, macro forms of of hypocrisy. And, and we do a very poor job in general of, within those of us that have a, a theological orthodoxy, we, have, we do a very poor job in general of confronting that, and rooting it out, okay? So let, let's, let's stipulate to that aside. On, a, on an individual level, though, for, a form, for someone who comes into the church like you originally did as an atheist, I, w- I was not an atheist when I came into the church. I just wanted my own religion. I, I wanted to be able to pick and choose the things that I wanted to pick and choose. I, I wanted to be my own God, <laughs> all right? Like a lot of other people. So when we witness individual hypocrisy, how much of it is the classic you know, Ted Haggard, look, the former head of the National Association of Evangelicals, and he, you know, Tom Brokaw doing a big feature about him 15 years ago, and he looks into the camera and says, I wonder where you're spending your nights. And then we find out how he's been spending his. How much of it is really, I, the, the pastor slept with the organist again? And how much of it really is, we in the church do a poor job of transparency about the honesty of our own brokenness, about what a san- that a sanctification process is a clumsy process. The guy who wrote most of the New T- Testament said, man, I have this thorn in my flesh that the Lord will not take away. How much of our own hypocrisy would be alleviated with just, frankly, some more transparency and honesty?
3: Wow, that's just such a great way of saying it. I think uh, we have, especially, uh, I'm a Protestant evangelical, and I think we have not really well conveyed the sanctification process. We're very much about conversion and and evangelism, getting people into the church, but then we don't really tell them, now what? Mm -hmm. And that that now what part is what I'm trying to convey in in my book, which is that it's messy. You don't come into the church and then you're magically changed like you get a clean slate, right? You bring into your relationship with God your past hurts and experiences and vices and the things that you struggle with. And so that is a lifelong process. And we should be more transparent about what is going on in our lives with each other but it's difficult because we're dealing with human beings and that's what i'm finding is very hard for me to do it's hard to trust other human beings with some of those very difficult life issues because we get hurt because we people gossip about us they use it against us and we know these things are going to happen because we're just human so for me yes the church needs to be more transparent but we also need to really take jesus's teaching in luke 6 that sermon on the mount really to heart, which is that we're supposed to do good to others even when they don't do good to us. Uh, that's how we avoid um, you know, trying to use hatred against hatred or violence against violence or you know, harsh words against harsh words is by doing good to others, doing unto others as you want them to do unto you. Jesus knows that's not always going to happen. You're going to do good and get hurt. And that's that's part of the teaching of um, the church. And we need to make this more clear that our goal is to be more like Christ, to be more like what he's teaching us in that Sermon on the Mount. But you will get hurt along the way if you're trying to stand up for what is right and good and true and beautiful.
2: So I, I'm every day here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. We're not a, a faith-based platform. We're a faith-friendly one. Now, my show is faith-based because that's what I base the positions and things I say on this show as best I can. I base it on on my faith. And so I'll get you know emails and stuff from a, a wide, diverse audience, people that might agree with me on some theological things, but then not on others. And some people have completely different religious viewpoints than I do. And one of the things I'll often hear which I find fascinating is if I say something in a way they find too provocative or confrontational or edgy um, you know, well, I didn't expect a Christian to think or talk like that? And you know, I expected you to be better than that. And I, I find it fascinating because I didn't think of, because I used to use remarks like that too, before I was a believer against other believers. I Do, do unbelievers understand how self-indicting that statement is though? Because, if you hold Christian ethics, life and worldview, in such high esteem that you think it is what makes people better, then why aren't you a Christian? Why then, by your own admission, are you signing up for a lesser viewpoint that, uh, that permits you to be debased and, 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 and brings you down to a, another level? If you think Christianity is, has these lofty ideals, by your own admission, why wouldn't you aim higher then? Why would you settle?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And uh, I, I explore that a little bit in a different angle, which is that, you know, in Christianity, there's a moral standard that we're attempting to live up to. We say God is the standard of good. And that's it's his nature and his teaching by which we compare everything to to say, hey, this is hypocritical. If you wipe out a standard of goodness, then what are you comparing mm-hmm. to, to? What are you comparing? Why, what are you saying? Hey, you guys are being hypocritical. And I so I think there's another uh, point that can be made within that same line of thinking is that, yeah, I mean at least Christians have a standard which by which you can say, look, you guys are being hypocritical.
2: But this goes again, uh, cuts both ways on the other end too, because you, you I go back to your story, you you have this notion that Christianity when you're when you're on the outside you often think I can't become a Christian because I can't live up to those standards because you haven't been adequately taught that. That's exactly why you need Christianity. You're right. You cannot live up to those standards. That's why we all need a savior. But you, you, you that keeps you away. I, I did this last night, or I'm doing this right now. And so I can't go to church. I can't become a Christian. I'm not good enough. And then finally, when you get that message and you receive it, and then you realize when you look around you that it can be discouraging too to see i thought these people were going to be a lot further along than than several of them turned out to, <laughs> turned out to be right it's a, it's a, that is a difficult balance
3: yeah and that is like my story is that you know i come in to christianity because of the great beauty and goodness and truth i see in the world and i'm looking for the people who are searching for that as well mm-hmm. and then i come into the church and yeah people have all the same problems in the church that they have everywhere else and so I think, I think this is an important point to remember is that, yeah, I mean, we're not going to live up to, the, to God's standard because we're not God, right? That's, no Christian thinks that you need to be perfect if they have even a basic theology on the nature of God and the nature of man. You, you, you're not going to be perfect. This is why we have a Savior, because we couldn't save ourselves, because we're the problem, every single one of us. And that's why God himself is solving the problem. This is Christian theology. This is why Jesus is going to the cross you know, if there was another way, Jesus actually prays, you know, about this, if there's any other way, right? Let this cup pass. But there isn't, because um, we're not going to be able to save ourselves. And so realizing that that we, are, we, we will fail, ourselves will fail others, I think will also help us in handling the failure of those who call themselves Christians, especially Christian leaders, because any leadership position is a very stressful, very hard one to take on, whether it's Christian leadership or others. And so there is always a possibility for moral failing or for failure mm-hmm. under uh, extreme amounts of stress,
2: final question who give me the composite of who in our audience, an audience like a show like this who do you think most needs to read? What's in your book?
3: I really think it's those people who um are considering leaving Christianity and haven't really considered what they would be leaving to. So they, maybe they've been raised in church, but they've never really accepted Christianity for themselves and never really thought through mm-hmm. it for themselves. Um, and they're disappointed in the church. They've been hurt by the church, but they need to consider what they might be going to. And so I would hope that people who are disappointed in the, in the church or are considering deconverting would read this book. Um, other people who might, another audience, would be the people who are exploring Christianity maybe for the first time and because there's some great arguments in there about the Christian worldview and what, why I stayed in the faith because it has a robust philosophical framework mm-hmm. to explain the world in which we live. Yep. So I would also encourage those people who, maybe not people who have been hurt by the church, but just people who are seeking truth and goodness and beauty in the world and trying to ground those things somewhere in reality. I would, I would recommend for you seekers out there to read this book as well
2: that is well said I I think it's the I really believe it's the only worldview on this planet that has answers for why we are the way we are why the world is the way that it is and what can be done about it now they're not always warm fuzzy answers they're not always answers you might like you might wish there were different ones but it's the only one that I think can answer all of those questions Mary Jo Sharp author of Why I Still Believe a Former Atheist Reckoning with the Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God it's been a pleasure talking to you today Mary Jo God bless Happy New Year okay
3: Thank you so much for having me on.
2: You bet. Take care. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts uh, about the conversation we just had with Mary Jo Sharp?
0: Yeah. Uh, she's a great um, attachment to our discussion of the seven deadly worldviews, particularly uh, legalism. W- what she's talking about makes it so important to understand why orthodoxy is important, where she said there at the end, if people don't understand what they're leaving— Orthodoxy makes sure you always understand that. And if you understand that, you're not surprised when there's still broken people within the church. But when orthodoxy is overrun by various legalisms, whether they're bureaucratic, whether they're progressive, whatever they are, then suddenly it you, you, you're not at church anymore. You're at a forfeit. You're at an imposter. And you're leaving something that isn't actually uh the church so it's it's funny it's it's counterintuitive but uh, the orthodoxy the the lines clear lines in the sand uh even though they're hard are the things that are going to keep you there if you start faking what those things are drifting away from them then you have all kinds of excuses of this mean unnecessary church you're when you're not even part of the church that you're leaving at the end of the day
1: yeah, and I particularly uh, appreciated her thoughts on on the process of of sanctification and what that what that looks like because we often focus too much on what that looks like. Because we often think that uh, sanctification, uh, or we maybe don't even think in terms of sanctification once we come to saving faith or we repent of sin, we think that that sin is just going to disappear overnight, or those uh, traits, those traits that we don't want in our life, those sinful traits, they're just going to disappear overnight. But I think the best definition of, of sanctification that I've heard is not that sin disappears but that the frequency of sin becomes less and less and less over time. Um, your appetite and, for it, and your appetite for it, yeah. becomes less and less over time. Changes what we see and continue to love the Lord with yeah. your with your mind, your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so we we that is such a difficult concept for us to take place because attached with so much sin is a, a great deal of shame as well. This this uh this idea that you're never going to get back up again that you're never that you're never going to get unentangled uh from whatever sin that it is in your life, and so it, it you want that to go away overnight and you think i'm i i'm repenting i I have this moment and i'm and i'm I'm going to give my life and this area of my life over to the Lord again and then it happens again and so that is part and parcel again to what we're talked about with with uh sanctification that it's not an overnight process, and that's so important for new believers and for for uh, the saints as well who have been in the faith for a great number of years that we're all messy. We've all got baggage in our lives as well. And that should be a great call for grace to every one of us.
2: We're going to come back. Hour number two, some theology Thursday. A Hillsdale College graduate has written a column at USA Today today about Trump and evangelicals, a certain kind anyway. We're going to get to that here in a moment. Stay tuned. We're back live and on demand. Not all that much in demand though, but somehow they continue to let us work here at blaze TV radio and podcast. By the way, if you do listen to us via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, wherever you choose to podcast from, thank you because the more of those we get, the more people like you we get to find. And the more likely it is that we get to continue to do this for a living. Thousands of you have left us one of those five-star reviews already. Thank you. Considering, Consider perhaps leaving us uh, many more. I don't know if you can stuff the ballot box like that, but let's go ahead and give it a shot for the children. Ours. 888 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. For Theology Thursday, gentlemen, we're going to talk, we're going to tackle a topic that I am frankly bored with. But we're we're gonna so that's I'll take Steve work on your uh your your marketing and your teases for a thousand dollars, please. Okay. But 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 okay, there's a rejoinder there, but this is from an angle and a level of nuance that you don't typically see. All right. Because typically what we see in this debate is what Orange Man bad or
1: Cheeto Jesus saves, correct? That's all the room there is.
2: Yes. I I can't imagine. I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many reporters and the like I've had contact me the last few years. I give them all the same answer. The party you guys write for or broadcast for has declared war on their faith. It's a pretty simple choice for a lot of them and he doesn't hate them. And then they don't ever call me back for any further explanation after that. Okay. Or it's, you know, literally Jesus, is walking, and it's Trump's footprints in the sand, right? Okay, it's it. There's there's that's really what it has become over the last few years. This story, though, over at USA Today, where I used to be a, 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 an opinion writer there, this is one of the i I I think it's one of the top. And I, I looked it up actually; it's one of the top fifteen news sites in America. is, is USA Today? So this is a pretty high traffic site. I know a little bit about how the editorial process works over there, having formally been a part of it myself before we came here. Um, and they have a column up today, and and, and I want to say this, even whether you agree or disagree with it, I want to give USA Today credit for even permitting this level of conversation, because there's a level of 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 nuance and adulting here, or at least an attempt we as we go through this piece in a moment we may find that we're not all that impressed with it but at the very least there's an attempt to do something here that most outlets like usa today will not entertain because it requires a a nuance and everything has to be orange man bad or cheeto jesus saves and if i had to guess my old editor over there dave mastio who's a good dude don't agree all the time but he's a good dude uh, and, and and he still has an appetite for opinions like this. He probably has something to do with this piece even running at all. Because it, it goes into some real, or attempts to anyway, go into some real theology. Are you, are it, is that a better job of piquing your interest? No. Yes.
0: You did your best to pumpkin spice it.
2: Okay. This is written by a young man who graduated from Hillsdale College in 2018. In 2018. So he's young, younger than Aaron, but Hillsdale College, man, from, you know, like if 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 they conservative media is just looking to find Hillsdale college graduates to give them jobs. Is that fair? Is that a fair Basically, description yeah. of Seems Hillsdale's like position? I, I'm familiar with the school. It's from my backyard where I grew up there. Uh One of the girlfriends I had in high school, I think ended up going to Hillsdale college. All right. So it, this is creme de la creme in terms of getting your conservative street cred. All right. Is Hillsdale College. Isn't our own Chris Pandolfo a Hillsdale grad? Indeed. Yes, and I think indeed. he went
1: to school with this guy as well for nope. a while.
2: Okay. Did you check with Chris when you saw we were going to talk he, about?
1: He checked with me. Yep.
2: Okay. All right. So this is from Bre- Brendan Clary. So first of all, dude, Brendan, props for being like 20 years old or 24 years old and getting a column published at USA Today, by the way. I mean, that, that's impressive, <coughs> period. That's okay? dope. All right. Here's the headline. Trump and the prosperity gospel sell false promises to credulous evangelical Christians. So I'm going to go through this piece and we're going to pause at certain places and I'm going to get you guys' reaction before I give any editorial comment. All right? Okay. Okay. President Donald Trump made a speech Friday night at a church known for preaching the prosperity gospel, a false doctrine that claims those who give financial support for pastors and churches will become wealthy and healthy. That Trump's first appeal in his Evangelicals for Trump campaign comes from this church. Miami's King Jesus International Ministry sends a clear message to evangelical Christians. Prosperity gospel and Trump's promises are as spiritually hollow as they are similar Both rely on this basic principle, give something now, get something later. One of King Jesus International Ministries donation pages, called First Fruits, can be found a core tenet of the prosperity gospel. God honors our faith, multiplying those fruits and giving us a blessed year. Essentially, with a little faith, God will multiply your January gift into more money year-round. Another prime example comes from another of the church's donation pages. And how many donation pages does a church need? by the way, uh, when we bring offerings to God, he brings overabundance to our finances. King Jesus International Ministry Pastor Guillermo Maldonado wrote a book published in 2009 called Jesus Heals Your Sickness Today with the description, which the description for yells in all caps, While the world is suffering unknown illnesses and epidemics, this book brings to life the ministry of Jesus. If you or a loved one need healing, here is the perfect tool you need to attain it. The problem with Maldonado and his church's teachings is that in no way are they supported by scripture. Let me stop there. Your thoughts so far?
0: I can't help but thinking of the show Messiah that you had us watch while you're reading this. How about I start there? And that'll make more sense when we talk about it next week, but okay. that's where I'm living right now. Okay,
2: that's the show on Netflix that we're going to be breaking down on yeah. Pop Culture Tuesday next week, right?
1: It really should not come as a shock that President Trump spoke there when his spiritual advisor's name is Paula White. That's my thought so far.
2: All right, let's continue. God doesn't promise his followers in the Bible that they will receive an overabundance to our finances. If only they cut him a check. Similarly, he never promises he will heal them when they are sick. If you want to know what following the will of God looks like in practice, look at Jesus, who was brutally tortured and murdered on the cross for our sins. Look at all the apostles and martyrs who died on account of proclaiming the gospel. These people didn't receive back what they lost in earthly prizes or see their their bank accounts increase. They sacrificed their lives for the sake of God's true word in order to receive the gift of heaven. The prosperity gospel is based on the lie that you can get everything you want from the world by following God. The true gospel is that Christ alone saves sinners like you and me from eternal punishment if we turn from our sin and follow Him by God's grace. Aaron, your thoughts there?
1: I think that's yeah. I think that's that's pretty uh, effective. I think this this goes back a little bit to uh, to what we were talking just a little bit to what we were talking about um, last hour with the expectations that we have of our faith. Uh, and of those who, who claim the name of Jesus as well. And I think, I think uh, you know, Brendan, Brendan uh, drew a pretty, pretty effective line there between, I think, the true gospel and the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is all about me. The true gospel is all about what Christ did.
2: And, Todd, you're sitting over thinking, so we had a Reformation because yeah. a
1: Catholic dude
2: was going around Europe saying we had to schism the church because some Catholic moron was going around Europe saying if you give your money to St. Peter's Basilica, your, your, your loved ones get out of purgatory in hell. And now we're sitting here 500 years later and, 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 and you guys over in the Protestant community are, having the exact, are doing the exact same crap. Is that what you're thinking? Is that the thought bubble over your head? There's nothing new under the sun, There is baby. nothing new under the sun, indeed. This is now where the column begins to pivot. It appeared Trump preached from an appropriate pulpit Friday night, considering the promises he made to evangelicals. Throughout the speech, Trump tried to sell himself to Christians as a political savior who, if they vote for him, can give them everything they've ever wanted, politically and culturally. Trump spent much of the speech trying to convince evangelicals that he has saved their religion from the clutches of the God-hating left. He alone ended the war on Christmas. He alone ended the war, the government's war on religion. He alone can defend believers in our churches from being silenced by Democratic presidential candidates. And in case you had any doubts that Trump is selling what he cannot possibly deliver, listen to what he said as his speech was coming to an end. Quote, with millions upon millions of evangelical voters, Christian voters and voters of every faith, we will preserve our heritage, we will defend our liberty, we will reclaim our destiny, we will strengthen our families, we will build up our communities, we will restore the role of faith and to the true foundation of American life, unquote. How will one vote for Trump on election day instantly reclaim our destiny, whatever that means? Strengthen our families, build up our communities, restore the role of faith. If these kinds of core cultural changes aren't happening now, years after Trump took office and became Evangelical's greatest champion in the White House, why should we, why should we expect to magically see them take effect on or after November the 3rd? None of this means we shouldn't try to elect a president who will uphold our values and protect religious liberty, but that is the work of a politician not a political savior. Trump's closing line sounded more like an altar call than a political message. Quote, today in churches all across our land, believers are defending our God-given freedoms. We need every single person here today to talk to your families, talk to your neighbors, share our message of national renewal, unquote. But President Trump's message of national renewal is ultimately a false gospel, earthly deliverance in exchange for political support. He cannot keep his promises in the same way that Maldonado and his church cannot keep theirs. Donald Trump tries to brand himself as the savior of American Christians who will give them everything they want if they give him their votes. But as with the prosperity gospel, Christians must be wary of worldly promises from a false political savior. Christians will only have ever have one savior and he's not in the Oval Office. He's at the right hand of God, the Father. That's the end. So before
0: I say anything, you guys' thoughts. Here's what is unsettling to me about all this, and thus speaks to the reason why I've said before, and I, I still probably right now I would not vote for Donald Trump, which is not, not me preferring somebody else. But I, the, people overvalue the strength and potency of Donald Trump because of how weak, not people, Christians, I should say, because of how weak they are in turning whatever their faith is into practice, we just got done talking about this on uh, on, the, on the last segment, uh, several of the last segments I, I, on today's show. Your 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 faith, your sincerity, Mike Lee. Uh, ultimately, it, it is about more than words, about speechifying, about winning elections. It is about uh, you know sweat that turns into blood it is about laying it all on the line being not afraid and everybody who goes to congress ultimately ends up being terribly afraid on the right and people voting like this if you can say this about donald trump you're living in constant fear that is not your faith so my vote is actually if i don't vote for donald trump it actually isn't a vote against donald trump it's quite it's a vote against the kinds of people that this column is talking about because you are called to be better. We must be better. Um, By definition, there's, there's no escaping that. There's no getting around that. The gospel is clear about that. And we are worshiping very, very silly idols.
1: Yeah, indeed. I, I, I don't think I could say it much better than, than Todd did, but this is just indicative of the hyper spiritualization of, of a person, and when I, when we talk about this, and the longer we talk about this topic, you, you said you you said you were bored with it. I'm not bored with it. I just kind of, I don't know. I loathe it <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> the more we talk about it, the more I listen to it. It's just the Benedict Option option from Rod Drier, who is a Catholic, but the Benedict opt- Option sounds more and more appealing because it just seems as if. More and more, and maybe it'll change, but I don't think it, it will. You cannot wade into this into this water without getting w- without getting caught in one of these false choices between the Christianity today. Trump has so much spiritual power; he threatens to change, and uh, he just threatens the integrity of the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the other hand, on the other side of the same uh, uh, on the other side of the same coin, it is. Donald Trump has saved uh, the integrity of the church. He has saved it from the, the clutches of, of leftists. No, he's not done anything. He's just a man. He's just he's just an employee. And you cannot, you cannot break above the noise. What were you saying? I can't remember if it was on or off the air. I think it was on the air. It's funny how it works whenever you have conversations with certain people in the media and just tell them what you think and you don't choose a side. You just tell mm-hmm. them the truth and then they never call you. Because, because of that dynamic... In the world in which we live in this arena, it becomes more and more appealing. I believe to just, you know what, uh, you can't get, you can't rise above that. There's nothing transcendent going on here, but then it sucks you back in because there is still opportunity to see this as somewhat of a mission field. You're never going to not get dirty. We've talked about that before. You're never not going to get dirty in this arena, but when you when it becomes increasingly hard. To just get sucked into the black holes of these false choices, just revolving around fallen human beings, just hitting the eject button—it certainly, certainly seems. Not saying it is, but it certainly seems like a more rational choice.
2: So, um, the reason why I'm sick of this topic—just let me reiterate—it's—it's it's because. It's really just a proxy for Orange Man Bad and Cheeto Jesus saves. And I, I just have zero negative integer interest in that. That that's really what it's about. You need to love Donald Trump as much as I do or hate him as much as I do. And you're not permitted any form of nuance. Nuance, what is it? You're, you're not permitted any form of distinction drawing.
0: And how can as you said with our author in the previous segment, how can a faith that overcomes the grave right. need to fall into either one of those traps regarding Donald I, I, Trump? I, how? I,
2: you you, you've you're a new covenant you've introduced a new paradigm into the world a a, a man was once dead and now he's alive after raising other people from the dead so yeah you you would tend to think that your job is to now disciple that same world into this new paradigm rather than trying to contort and conform it into the paradigm it's already proven it's superior to but yeah We've done that that show a few times over the years. So the reason I wanted to entertain this particular entry into the sweepstakes, if you will, is it's the first one I have seen in a mainstream platform. And maybe there have been others. I've just missed them, okay? But um, it's the first one I've seen in a mainstream platform that attempts to draw some serious theological distinctions. And... It's written by a guy who just graduated from college in 2018. So he's younger than Aaron. I have a question. Why? How come somebody 57 years old didn't write this for USA Today? 65. I'm 46. How come somebody 46 years old didn't write this for USA Today? How come Beth Moore's ministry is now defined after discipling so many women for 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 years? Her, her ministry is now defined by Orange Man Bad. How did that happen? Is she like 60? How did that happen? Now, I I take issue with a couple of the ways that he worded things here. But I also understand that USA Today doesn't let you write for more than 700 words. Because again, I used to write there. So I know, I know the way they operate. I know the way they edit. And they're, they, they've earned the reputation as McPaper for a reason. They're trying to reach the broadest audience. And you're told, you know, don't write for people above a sixth grade education. I mean, you're just told that. All right. So, I, I don't want to be too, I'm, I'm not going to go into those areas because I know, number one, his youth, number one, and then number two, the amount of theological nuance that he was able to put into this in 700 words, given the way USA Today typically approaches the way, the, the process for you constructing an op-ed, is extraordinary. That he even was able to broach these points at all in this format. And I, I think that should take priority over, hey, I might have done this differently or I think better, okay? I think there's a bigger point here. Those of you that are in that baby boom generation that are really offended at what he said. Why? And this, this this, actually is the perfect follow-up to the conversation we have with Mary Jo. What was the subtitle of her book? A Former Atheist's Reckoning with the Bad Reputation Christians Give a Good God. So, Unbeliever starts exploring Christianity. Who's this Paula White character? Was she on her third or fourth marriage? She's left multiple churches bankrupt. She literally preaches this stuff and worse. That's in Brendan's column here. And why, why, why is Franklin Graham endorsing her book? See, you folks in the older generation want to dunk on young Brendan here. The world's more complicated than you think it is, Brendan. It's not as cut and dried as you think it is, Brendan. Adults see distinctions, Brendan. I totally agree with all of that. I just don't think you do. For if adults saw distinctions, Franklin Graham could not come up with a way to support Donald Trump whatsoever that didn't require endorsing the latest uh, meanderings of a known heretic who's been discredited multiple times. I've met Michael Tate at the Newsboys. Great guy. Been to his concerts. I've met him personally. Had my kid's picture taken with him. He's up there praying for the president with Paul the White. I think the Apostle Paul would do that. I think if some Roman senator said, Paul, I'd really like to have you come and pray for me. And hey, I I I brought down the the the, the priestess from the Saturnalia uh, festival last week. I want her to pray for me too. What do you think Paul would do? Gentlemen, what do you think he would do? Well, you know. We all know those Carthage those, those Carthage folks are even worse than the Romans. Um, you know, so and I'm a Roman citizen I'm a Roman citizen, so you know, this we need a broad coalition here.
1: We yeah, we we need to rally behind Caesar.
2: Yeah. No, that, that to hell no. He said come back to you don't want you don't want me praying for you if if that person's praying for you. You've made you you you've you've chosen the bed, the bed you're in.
0: You're describing why Paul starts so many of his epistles with calling himself a slave to Jesus Christ. I am chained to Jesus Christ, to to nothing else. Yes. You, this is fundamental to what you're talking about, I, because I, everybody I, else is chained I, yes. to something first this is before one, Jesus.
2: Understand that I, I might actually share some of your criticisms of the way Brendan is approaching this, but— he's your disciple you taught him you could not do these distinctions you taught him we now have to make now robert jeffers now has to turn the first baptist church of dallas or wherever he's at now into the first church of US, of of american exceptionalism you taught him this you taught it to him you 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 taught him that um these people are legitimate that this viewpoint is legitimate theology, provided they vote Republican. you you taught this to him. How did you expect him to respond? There were only two ways to respond. Well, there's a third. The first way is to is to is to follow in your first footsteps. The second is to, you know become like Francis Schaeffer's son, where you just go around the country now just essentially slandering the brethren every chance you get on every MSNBC show you can, you can find that's that, which is what normally happens by the way. That's normally what happens to our kids when we go down this road. They normally do that. Props to Brendan that he's even attempting to find some nuance or distinction. He's still even prop props that he didn't, he didn't just abandon any form of orthodoxy altogether, but he's your disciple. You taught him that there was no way to do this other than, slaving yourself to a political movement rather than to christ that you couldn't draw any distinctions or make this transactional in any way whatsoever go on franklin graham's facebook page and find out how many times as you said pray for the president against his democratic oppressors and how many times he said pray for the president that he'll stop acting out immorally against his wife Which do you think Paul would prioritize? And why do I keep bringing him up? Because he only wrote most of the words that have guided the New Testament church. Even my Catholic friend to my right, even St. Peter looks at Paul and says, follow what that guy has to say. Again, some of it's really hard to understand. (laughs) Right? He's only the guy that wrote most of the guidebook that was the chosen vessel to write most of the guidebook that, that has formed the New Testament church. Short of the gospels themselves. I, I just I, I don't think he do a lot of the things that we do. and you're going to get more Brendan Clary's, and you're going to get more people that just walk away in the next generation. If we keep doing this, if we if we keep preaching this notion that I have to conform to some civic custom to become a Christian rather than my Christianity, defines the civic custom for me. One is the fruit of the spirit. The other is legalism. That's what it is. Not to mention, God doesn't need you to do anything for him. Nothing. And the gospel is God has done everything for you. Do I think it is possible especially This presidency, this term, I have been critical of it numerous times and don't regret any of those criticisms because I thought they were right. I'll also tell you this. It's way exceeded what my expectations were. Now, my expectations were low going in, but I mean, it's way exceeded them at the same time. And he's been a better president in four years than, than George W. Bush was in eight. And I don't even think it's close. And a better president than George Herbert Walker Bush was. And I'm only comparing him to those two because those were the two that also came to evangelicals like me and wanted my vote in recent years since I've been eligible to vote. I wasn't eligible to vote when Reagan was around. Unlike Todd, who still thinks he can't bring himself to vote for him, I still go back and forth, but most days than not, if the election were today, I would vote for him. And I absolutely think it's possible that there have been times that God has providentially guided him to do things that he probably wouldn't do on his own, that have been good. But I don't go to the church of Jacob. I don't, I don't go to the, the church of the apostles. I don't go to the church of Abraham. I go to the church of Jesus Christ. God is the hero. And even if I'm right, that maybe God has providentially guided Donald Trump to do things he wouldn't otherwise do on his own, who's the hero there? God. The point here is is for these, God uses broken people, not so that the broken people get the credit, but so that he does. And when we canonize and lionize Donald Trump, you're going to create a lot more Brendan Clary's Except they might not even try to draw the distinctions young Brendan has tried to draw. They might just abandon the gospel altogether. Because they think ultimately, you don't believe it. You believe in the gospel of American exceptionalism and the Republican Party and political saviors. Well, man, if I wanted that, I'd just join the Democratic Party, minus the American exceptionalism. If I wanted statism, I'd just go to them. they give me more free stuff. So if you want young the next generation of believers like young brendan if you want them to see things are not always cut and dry If you want them to see that there needs to be nuance and distinctions And that the world is not as simple as you think it is when you're younger once you get out into it You have to raise a family and build a business and pay the rent You need to model that yourself Otherwise, why would you expect him to learn something that hadn't been taught to him? just my two cents. More in a moment. Again, if you're one of those people making New Year's resolutions give it the old college try i can speak from experience though they don't work what does work is lifestyle change one of the hardest things to do though when you want to make a healthy lifestyle change is get those portion sizes and cravings under control and the reason why is and you're not victims we're not we don't believe in victimology around here but it's also the way we're made we were created to conserve and crave calories because it's Only been, you know, humans have been on this planet for at least 6,000 years, and it's only been in the last hundred or so that food has been a readily available resource to, you know, mass populations. And even there's still here in 2020, all kinds of places on earth where food is not massively available. So, but if you're here in the West, you're blessed for that to be the case, except... It's, it's a mixed blessing when it comes time to get healthier and to lose weight, because now how do I go against my own nature? And that's where Riduzone comes in. There is a molecule in your body called OEA that's supposed to help the brain know when the belly is full, but when we've abused it for so long by getting overweight, the brain's just been conditioned to stop listening to it. And that's why you want to give Riduzone a try, because it boosts your OEA with just more OEA. That's all it is, no chemicals, additives, preservatives, stimulants, caffeine, all it is is OEA that's why it's gluten friendly or gluten free vegan friendly and also FDA accepted all right so if you want to give this a shot All right, to do this the natural way, because that's where exercise is vital. But more important, even, is the diet, what you're eating, and how much is even more important than what. All right, so if you want to give Riduzone a shot, all right, try to form a new habit. That's why we're offering you a three month supply for thirty percent off. It takes usually about ninety days for a new habit to form in the subconscious. All right, so three month supply at thirty percent off if you use my name, Steve as a promo code at riduzone.com r-i-d-u-z-o-n-e riduzone.com promo code steve it's now time for three non-political questions
0: we all have questions
2: who am i why am i here where am i going who am i a search and a question of identity why am i here a question of meaning and purpose where am i
0: going question of destiny Some better than others. What sort of morality
2: or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions
1: on The Steve Day Show. Yes, because we need uh, a break from the continued uh, decline and fall of Western civilization... Uh, because we know we're always going to have laughs, but sometimes we need to force laughs as well. So we came up with this uh, segment in order to put ourselves on the spot, looking at you, Todd. No more no more uh, non-answer answers. And yes, I'm singling you out. This is
0: my question. worst segment. It is. It
1: it yeah. This is we this need, is where to, you need to come back. Hey, we, ask better questions. We need to <laughs> we need to have this on Friday. Um, so question number one. This is a submission from Steve Heverin because Lord knows I can't do any show prep. Of these three gifts, what do you think is the greatest God gave us? Music, the written word, or theater?
3: You want to go first? Question.
1: That is a really good question. Yeah.
0: Do I want to go first? No. I'll go
1: first then. It's
2: I would say the written word because I don't think you have the other two, or at least they don't flourish to the level um, that they could without the written word. So I I would say it is. I'd say it's the written word.
0: I th- I think it might be music, and I say this not as a musical. I'm the least musical of the three people in this room in terms of being a junkie and aficionado playing an instrument I mean Aaron plays an instrument I mean Steve he's catalogued his his um, understanding of uh, musical history I just I think ultimately the it's it gives a soundtrack to life and the way it can stir us and get inside of us when we're watching theater. Or when we sit a bit, I mean, now oh, I'm old enough when parts of it get inside of you and that, that y- y- the way you're living your life and sending I mean, music is kind of played to it. I mean, I, my daughter once said she was out on the soccer field when she was like uh, eight or nine years Old, and I can't remember the context, but it was very, very profound. It was kind of a... It, it was a tournament game. It was kind of like a, a really close game, but, but... And she said that the song that really got popular with the the guy, the guitar player from one of the award songs, I'm going to make this place your home, you know?
1: Oh, Philip Phillips or something like that. You know?
0: Philip yeah, Phillips, yeah. that guy. And she said afterwards, she said, "I that song just kind of welled up in me. Like, I felt like I belonged. And that's what music does to you. Um, so... I think I'm going to give it to music.
1: For me, it's music for a different reason. I I think, now I'm going to maybe commit some heresy here. Not really, hopefully not. But when you think about it, the the closest that human beings can come to being, uh, to creating something um, out of nothing, you know, as when when God created the earth, he created it ex nihilo, out of nothing. I think the closest that human beings can come to doing that is through the composition of music. And as Todd said, that what comes along with that, the, the, the emotions that can be stirred from uh, music out of music, but I think the closest that you can come from creating something out of nothing, like, you know, words, they pre-existed you, they pre-existed your mind, they pre-existed your synapses. You come up with a new melody, a new melody that you thought of. I'm not sure that anything else can come hmm. quite close to that. All right, uh, question number two. If you were forced to choose between these three professions after quitting your job, which would you choose: a mechanic, a plumber, or an electrician? Wow, you can make pretty good money at any of those. Yeah, jobs I know you now. could.
2: I just i'm not i'm not naturally inclined to any of them. Plumbers, you know what? Plumbers an easy out. I don't want any part uh hand and linials innards. Um I'm, I'm I'm done. All right. One time when I was a kid, I had to help the old man when a pipe burst in the basement over there on Royal Oak in Wyoming, Michigan. And I can still remember the black slut. No. 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 I don't I don't want any part of that. Um
0: You have to put you on micros dirty jobs and see how you handle that. Not it.
2: not happening. Not.
0: I would that would that that was such a great show.
2: Yeah, I I had a I had a job I think it was at a Wendy's where I had, I had to clean the women's bathroom, including the tampon bin once. Once. Hence the word had. Okay.
0: (laughs) of the things you say out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: that thing wasn't going to clean itself, brother. Wasn't going to clean itself. Um, uh, I like electrician. Sounds cool. You know, because you guys know I like technology and stuff like that, but it could also require me to go into people's homes. I'm not sure I want to be in some of those people's homes, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with mechanic because I also get to mess around with technology and and not have to be in your home.
0: Last segment, we talked about the essence of Christianity. In this segment, Steve doesn't want to know you at all.
2: Yeah. Hey, I'm 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 fine loving my neighbor at From a neutral a site at a neutral site <laughs> yeah. at a neutral.
1: Site. <laughs> hey, you never asked answer the. Oh no, you did answer the last question. I forgot about. it. Yeah, I
2: said already. I said the written word because yeah. I thought without the written word we wouldn't see the other two flourish to yeah, their yeah, max potential. Yeah. 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 Short-term
0: yes. memory. Your neuroses are profound, man. <laughs> I dig that about you. Um, mechanic. Uh, I, Steve's right about why you buy a car somewhere. It's not. It's about the people who end up fixing it.
2: Every car I've bought in the last fifteen yeah. years, a guy named Larry Jackson has been the service manager at that uh, at that car lot. And he's an old friend of mine. Used to, we used to, we, this, the Dace group that we do now debuted on us, on this old, neg- on the old uh, local sports show I used to do, is where I first started doing it on sports. And he was kind of the every, everyday fan guy on there. And I just know he's going to tell me the truth. And, and, he, and so every time he runs, that's why all we owned for a while were Kias, because he ran the service department at Des Moines Kia. And all we've owned the last seven or eight years have been Fords, because he runs the the service department at Granger Ford, man. Yeah, he's, that's my homie right there. Yeah. He's been a lifesaver
0: more than once. If I could fix my own car, I would have avoided perhaps the conversation I had within the last couple of months. I mean, they, I won't name the kind of car. I will save them from that. But I actually, it, I had catastrophic level failures at a point in the life of the car that should not be happening. And they actually tried to pull the, you know, we, we don't make the car. We just sell them and things happen. <laughs> oh, I said, is that stuff happens? Is that your advertising campaign? Did they campaign? offer you the stuff
2: happens plan? Oh, the extended man. stuff it, happens service plan when you bought it?
0: I went a little fire and brimstone. I got a little, and I ended up.
1: You got getting, a new engine out of it. I did yeah. get
0: a brand new engine, but it took me being insufferable me. So that
2: is your cologne scent. It is. Oh, no, smug. Although I've, I think insufferable I've, is a great yeah.
1: name for a cologne. We're moving on. <laughs> i i think it would have to be mechanic for me as well i thought about electric i mean plumbers and an easy out i mean respect for people who have the stomach to do that but electrician i'm terrible at, at cable management um just yeah i don't i hadn't noticed looking wires, at your work
2: workspace over there's, there
1: there's a reason why this is a pretty tight shot anybody who comes and visits uh is like oh wow Wow, I didn't expect this. And I think they mean the size of the room sometimes, but I think sometimes they also mean all the, the mess of watching. I just I
2: have trained myself not to
1: look. Cable management. Is that trade lingo by the way? Yeah, it means not having like this is actually pretty good. Pretty decent. And I actually told the guys at the Blaze when they come came in and, and and redesigned all of this. I I don't want you to tie up or zip tie any of the stuff under the desk because we have to swap out stuff invariably, but it, it makes for a little bit of a messy, a little bit of a messy area. But yeah, I know uh, where everything goes
2: and I... I've, I, I, I have, I've had to train myself not to look. Yeah. Did we yeah. say
0: the answers? Because you're the... Well, you're definitely the most technical, Steve. You're, and you're in between us i mean i'm i'm just not so did we give you the answers you thought yeah,
1: uh, not really oh, i didn't okay. think either one of you would do mechanic and you both did so you didn't think that. i was gonna do plumber did you uh no i thought you were gonna do plumber for sure uh question <laughs> number you three think steve was
0: gonna talk about his fears of cleaning up
1: <laughs> no. whatever no no I'm not. that was a pleasant surprise yeah. <laughs> yeah all right this might be the toughest question i've ever asked on this segment before and uh now that I've said that, it's probably going to be like one word answers from both of you, and we'll have to filibuster with the next eight minutes. But it's this Which is better? And you must answer this. It cannot be a tie. You must answer this question The Lord of the Rings or the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah.
0: See, so yeah, that I'll have an easier time. You give me like, give me your Mount Rushmore of favorite songs. I can't, suddenly I'm just overwhelmed. I can't even think of one. This is a great question. Um, define better. Can you, you define to, that for me?
2: You get to decide. Okay. All right. So that's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Um. In terms of the quality of the storytelling and the scope and magnitude, we're talking the films of Lord of the Rings. Films. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I. I. It's the Lord of the Rings. Um, which was harder and more difficult. It was. It's the MCU because they had to take characters and stories that ultimately don't always come to a head and weren't designed to, to do it that way. And over the course of 10 years in real time, fashion that together. And you have some minor plot holes, but we don't have any Luke and Leia kissing in the empire strikes back. And then you find out in return of the Jedi, they're brother and sister kind of plot holes, right? You don't have anything like that. So in terms
0: of And that's the good plot hole.
2: Yeah, if if we're doing degree of difficulty, it's the MCU. But in terms of just there and 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 I don't want to mitigate or minimize, you know, how great they did the original MCU. And I'm we're gonna have to use that phrase, I think, a lot for fear of what they're gonna yeah. try to do next. Okay. Um Saved by the Bell in Marvel Universe Land. <laughs> yeah. But um I mean, ter- there's nothing in the MCU that has the size and grandeur and scope of the Lord of the Rings, because I, because there's maybe no story in Western literature in the last 200 years that has that. That's why it's such a transcendent experience. That's why it's why it's some of the greatest selling fiction writing in you know Western publishing history. Um, it, it's it's why you know inspires hippies and christians alike Uh, it's it's transcendent and the MCU's done a phenomenal job of taking you know comic book and i don't mean that in a in a negative but you know there's a reason why i've read spider-man at five and not the similarian okay i couldn't understand that at five but i could understand Peter Parker got bit by a radioactive spider and Bruce Banner was caught out in a field where they were testing nuclear weapons and got gamma rays. I can understand that. All right. What the MCU did a great job is taking those stories and making them even appear to be on the level of the stuff that Tolkien was tying into. The old, as his friend Um C. S. Lewis would say, the old magic is what Tolkien was tying, was, was tapping into. Um what Marvel has done is fanciful pulp fiction but they built it up to a scale that it's even in this conversation and that is to their credit but it is it's not on the same level as what as what Tolkien and and Peter Jackson with his visual depiction accomplished
0: man i would have had the same stream of consciousness but ultimately ended at the opposite conclusion mm-hmm. Be- but because of what you said it, they, they peter jackson was and the I believe it was his wife and then another woman who were the three writers. By and large, they just stayed faithful. Yeah. And get out of the way and let this just be brilliant. And it was. The the MCU had no business being in this conversation. I I thought the superhero— If you want to go there on the the,
2: base of— who had the harder accomplishment oh, yeah, that I, right. I can't tell you. And you, you said as that, much.
1: Yeah. I think that's a wash because at the time, as far as the filmmaking perspective goes... At the time, I think the Herculean effort of bringing Middle Earth to life that Peter Jackson did is probably comparable when you take into, uh, oh. take into account all the technology advances of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they got to enjoy that Peter Jackson necessarily didn't.
0: But I think that's these, – these craftsmen from Star Wars, you, you, you just got the butt- those nerds together. That's what they wanted to do, build the models, build the sets. Reali- I mean they, they absolutely loved that. that. That was not unprecedented to, to make, as you said – spider-man iron man to give it the level of gravity through as many movies as it did it should not have happened Uh, it it is as great a tribute to the ability of now now we're going back to your original question you know is it music is it story whatever uh they pulled it off man they pulled off the impossible that as long as you were faithful to the lord of the rings that wasn't impossible that that should have been great i i still am it's a it's a miracle that they pulled off what they did with the MCU. It's, it's
2: also difficult though to meet people's expectations. Oh, sure, sure. Which Peter Jackson had to do that as well. But you make a, a good point, Aaron. You're the tiebreaker.
1: I think in in every facet, I think in every facet of filmmaking, of storytelling, of the transcendent themes that were communicated through the medium and told to their utmost potential, and all the fan expectations as well. I think all of those are just a wash. So the only reason I think the Lord of the Rings edges this out is because thus far, thus far it's the only one of the two who has uh, withstood the test of time. Now, I think the MCU will definitely do that, but we don't know that for sure. I don't know what would change to, to to necessarily change that. But I think the Lord of the Rings has already stood the test of time. It's watchable over and over and over again. And so that's why I would give it the edge over the MCU.
2: Gentlemen, we got about a minute left. Any final thoughts here today? For the overtime, by the way, Nancy Pelosi has spoken on these articles of impeachment that are now more than three weeks old. <laughs> All right. And our Nate Madden uh, had the video today up at Capitol Hill. Uh, Nancy, the Speaker of the House, saying that she uh, it, it's not an indefinite period of time. She will eventually hand over the articles of impeachment to the U.S. Senate. And we're going to discuss in the overtime today whether we buy that or not blaze tv.com slash dace if you would like to subscribe to blaze tv all right gentlemen beyond that any final thoughts
0: well uh while the um montage was playing i looked over at steve and just said this is this is just a tower of babel and it almost is every single day and to come full circle what we talked about today only jesus saves you from that not trump or not any other politician
1: yeah agreed on the heels of that last conversation uh we are all nerds like to the nth degree but you know what that's okay at least that's what my mom told me
2: nerds rule now right nerds rule
1: that's going to do it for today
2: thanks to all of you for tuning in don't forget blaze slash days is where you can get access to today's overtime for the rest of you we're going to see you again tomorrow noon to two eastern right after glenn beck here on blaze tv radio and podcast until then john 317